just before we begin our time of worship and even come for confession, I think we need to be lifting up our nation in prayer. We are in a, a, a tremendous time of unrest, confusion, with the president and his family and a number of people coming down with the, uh, the wonderful bug that you know about. Uh, by the way, do you have a taste yet? Not totally. 80%. No. <laughs> At any rate, uh, there's so many things that we need to pray about for our country. And I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer, even right now. Heavenly Father, even though we're walking in a day and stepping small steps at a time, not certain where the, where the long range is for our nation, we're so thankful that it is not a surprise to you and that your heart's desire is for good, especially for the ministry of your kingdom working in the world. I would pray for what we are going through as a country. I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, what these next weeks will be bringing, leading to the election, would not be vitriol and anger and bitterness and lies, but would be truth. I pray for those of us who have passions about what faces us, that we would remember that we are to put the most charitable construction on that which our neighbor does. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us as your people to be a blessing in our community, in our parties. But I especially pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help the people of our country to vote for the person that we need and not necessarily the one that we want. That what takes place, Lord Jesus, in these days would be setting the stage for, for many people having their hearts turned, turned toward you, Lord. We pray for the president, for Mrs. Trump, for those that are a part of his close circle who are struggling right now with uh, coronavirus, we would pray for each of them, Lord, that you would pour out your healing grace upon them, that you would give them strength, that you would give all of those involved running for office clarity of mind, and we pray, Lord, purity of heart. We thank you, Lord, for your love, for your grace, for your favor, and for the good that you have planned for our country and for your people, the church, and your kingdom. And I ask this all, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. And all God's people said, amen. I invite you now to stand as we make confession of our missing the mark, our sin, and hear his promise of forgiveness and grace. Let's pray.
Almighty God, our maker and redeemer, we poor sinners confess to you that we are by nature sinful and unclean and that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Therefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy and ask you for Christ's sake, grant us forgiveness of all our sins and by your Holy Spirit, increase in us true knowledge of you and of your will and true obedience to your word to the end that by your grace we may come to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, our stumblings, our words that fall out of our mouth that were not right, our sin is not a surprise to God. But even though that's a part of our history, God has said that if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He forgives us and he cleanses us. And to you who have confessed your sins and believe his promise, I proclaim to you what he said, the entire forgiveness of all your sin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. With that good news of promise, let's bring to him our praise and thanksgiving. strength when I am weak. You are not true. 
invite you to open up in your Bibles to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. We're going to begin at verse 19 this morning. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they'd been sent from the Pharisees, and he asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. And Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for this word that, that comes to us this day. I pray that you would give to us hearts that are open to the ministry of your spirit. Eyes, Lord Jesus, who see who you are and what you have done. And lips that boldly proclaim that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that you are the Son of God. Bless us now as we spend time in your word, I pray. Amen. Well, the search committee didn't come from the church council. It came from the uh, 
probably one of the most powerful lay groups of its time. It was the groups called the Pharisees. They had a passion for, for living out what God had commanded in his word. For them, the law was the top thing. And making sure that you and everyone else who was going to follow that law was so important. They were careful on how they lived out their lives so that as other people looked at them, they wouldn't see disgusting things, but they would see things that sort of reflected what God's plan for his kingdom was. And these Pharisees back in Jerusalem hear about this rough-and-tumble guy out in the wilderness down there by the Jordan River baptizing people. He wasn't uh, high on the guest list for the important people. In fact, the kind of ways that John would speak about political leadership was never very positive. In fact, it was bold. And warnings. You brood of vipers! Yeah, political and important people don't be like, like to be called a gathering of ugly snakes. So John is doing his thing. And from Jerusalem comes the question, who is he? And right off the bat, he wants them to know, I am not the Christ. The Christ. Who is the Christ? It was something that the Jewish people were looking for. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which essentially means anointed. If you have an issue with your eyes, you might go to an ophthalmologist. And that person would, with his great wisdom and skill, maybe give you some drops or some cream or some wash for you to Christos your eyes, anoint your eyes, so that healing would be coming your way. The, the Jewish people in Hebrew, it had another word for anoint, and that word was Mashiach, Messiah. And so whether it is Christos, Christ from Greek, or Messiah from Hebrew, both of these words mean the anointed. And the sense of anointed or the anointed one was a very exciting concept and a, a desire so longed and looking for by the Jewish people because they were, quite frankly, tired of getting stepped on all the time. They weren't the biggest country around. They weren't the highest respected. And it seemed like they were primarily filling the pockets of whoever was in charge in the world at that time with their skills and their abilities. High priests and some other priests, they were anointed with holy oil and prayers for the ministry that they were going to be carrying out. They had duties to do, and 
they needed that. In fact, not only was the high priest himself anointed, consecrated, but so was the altar. So was the candelabra. So, I mean, the, the tools that the priest was going to work with, they were anointed. Priests were anointed for their ministry. So also kings were anointed. Probably the, the most memorable of the anointing of kings was that semi-private anointing that young sheep herder David received at the hand of Samuel. Sort of in secret because it's sort of awkward anointing a king when the other king is still there. And yet David is anointed. And not only kings, but so also from time to time, a prophet was anointed for the ministry that they had, proclaiming the truth of God's word. In, in, in 2 Kings chapter 8, uh, Elijah is commanded by God uh, with these words. The Lord says to anoint Hazael king over Syria, Yehu king over Judah, and Elisha as a prophet in your place. So even prophets from time to time were anointed for that position. Not only the Jewish people were anointed, but God says even outside of the family of Abraham, some people were anointed for jobs to do. In Isaiah chapter 45, there is a prophecy that Isaiah proclaims talking about a king, an emperor, coming down the line decades from now, a guy by the name of Cyrus. And God's got plans. Cyrus was the, the re ruler of Medo-Persia when, when finally the Jews got to come back home from captivity. Isaiah 45, 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whom I took by the right hand. God is saying, even this foreign leader, I have anointed, I have commissioned for a ministry that involves my people, Israel. One other person who... Uh, was declared to be Messiah was a fellow by the name of Judas the Maccabee or Maccabeus. And he was, uh, he was a leader of guerrilla warfare when Antiochus Epiphany IV uh, came to, to force Greek culture and religion on the Jewish people. And uh, Judas Maccabee rose up a whole army. And when the temple had been desecrated by the Greeks, it was Judas Maccabeus who, who led that Maccabean revolt, chased out the Greeks, and re-sanctified, re-consecrated the temple, uh, the miracle of Hanukkah took place under that time because they only had enough oil for one day and the candles, and yet God stretched it for the whole eight days. That's why not only the Jewish people today celebrate Hanukkah, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. 
We find that Jesus went back to the temple one December to celebrate the festival or the Feast of Lights. That's Hanukkah, mentioned in Scripture, all because of what had happened 150 years before, 180 years maybe, under the care of Judas Maccabee. And the, and the Jerusalem council, the leaders there, declared him to be Messiah. It didn't last. Well, the Greeks were gone, but then the Romans came in. And they're still looking. They're still waiting. They're still praying. They ask, are you the Christ? John says, I am not the Christ. In verse 21 in today, I, are you Elijah then? I am not Elijah. Uh, since the closing down of the Old Testament, the Jewish people have been looking for a return of Elijah. In fact, the very next to the last verse in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter verse four, verse chapter four, verse five says, "Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes." They were looking for that great and awesome day of the Lord to come when, when Rome would be chased out and, and, and we've got our, our kingdom back like under the glories of David and Solomon. Oh boy, those are going to be good times. They were looking forward to that. Get rid of that iron boot of Rome on our neck. Not having to pay taxes to our enemies who use it to beat us up. Oh, they were looking forward. And, and so if perchance John isn't the Christ, maybe at least he's Elijah. So he's setting the stage for the one who's going to come and set us free. No, I'm not the Christ. No, I'm not Elijah. And verse 21, no, I am not the prophet. The prophet? Way back in the last days of Moses, Moses says, there is going to arise a prophet like me from your brethren, and he's going to speak the truth in power. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Might he be the prophet? Again, setting the stage for everything. John's answer, nope. Not me. Then who are you? Oh, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, maybe that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Who are you? If someone asks who you are, do you automatically go to what you do? Well, I'm a real estate agent. I'm a homemaker. I'm a retired pastor. I, I used to work on Sundays only, and now I only work part of Sundays. Uh, who are you? I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a child, I'm a parent. To some, 
I'm Poppy. I love hearing that. Who are you? Is the, the word, I'm a forgiven sinner, describe who you are? Do the words, I'm one who trusts in Jesus, describe who you are? They asked John who he was. The world is looking at you and wondering who you are. Who I am. I'm blessed of God, though I don't deserve it. I'm one who has his name written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm a poor excuse for a follower. I'm forgiven. So many things can describe who you are. Who are you? I'm a blood-bought child of God. I'm on God's favorite list. In fact, if God had a stomach and needed a refrigerator, my picture would be on that refrigerator. And so would yours in Christ. Who are you, they asked. And not only that, but what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, John was, according to verse 23, trying to make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah had said. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to prepare the way. I'm trying to fill in the divots and knock down the pride points so that there's a clear shot, not only for the Lord to come, but more importantly, for, for others to come to the Lord, to, to have those hindrances knocked out of the way. John answered, it says in verse 26, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap whose, whose sandals I'm not worthy to tie. He had an accurate prescription or description and knowledge of who he was. Jesus was so much more than he, even though a half a year younger and not associated really, this distant cousin of Jesus, they didn't have time growing up with one another. When the cousins got together, Jesus and John didn't play with one another. They were quite distant, separated in territory. He didn't know Jesus personally. But he knew Jesus was someone that God the Father had chosen. What are you doing? I'm trying to prepare the way of the Lord. Well, why are you doing what you are doing? The same question maybe comes to us. What are we doing? And why are we doing what we're doing? John says he himself didn't know Jesus, but for this purpose he came to baptize with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John is doing what he's doing out in the rough and tumble countryside, the wilderness, lots of dry, lots of rocks. He's doing that out there 
that Jesus might be revealed. That there might be for Israel an epiphany, a, a revealing of what God is doing in sending his son. Brothers and sisters, not only what are you doing, but why are you doing what you're doing? Do you get to share wonderful things with people? Do you, do you get to grasp opportunities? More than a decade ago, I had an accident skiing South Lake Tahoe. Broke my neck. I used to be really good at skiing. I was on ski patrol at Crystal Mountain. But that sort of changed things. And the skis got put away. And I had to figure out something else to do. And what I took up was squeezing out little pieces of lead down a barrel a long way down the far end of a gun range. I became a shooter. Both long guns and pistols, it was so much enjoyment. In fact, a group of us formed a group called the Monday Morning Pistol Club. And Monday being my day off, I'd get up in the morning and I'd meet my friends out at the, the Swiss Rifle Club in Monterey County, and we would shoot. We would have a wonderful time. Oh, so refreshing, getting that target with holes in it in the right spot. And one particular Monday, there was a fellow that was there I hadn't met before. His name was Ken. And I got introduced to Ken, and we talked a little bit, and we were shooting for a while, and then one of my friends says, so Rev, what you doing this week? And I talked to him a little bit, and my new acquaintance, Ken, said, you're a, you're a pastor? I said, yeah, I am a pastor. Really? Where are you a pastor? Well, I'm a pastor in Salinas. It was you know, 25 miles away. Really? What church? I said, well, I've been the pastor at St. Ansgar's Lutheran for the last, at that point, it was about 15 years. St. Ansgar's Lutheran? Oh, I've been going there for 20 years. It's the best church in Salinas. Now, when a person says to a pastor, I've been going to your church for 20 years, it's nice to know that it's the best church in Salinas, but it would have been nice that I would have recognized this person. But I didn't know him from anyone. I said, you've been going to St. Ansgar's for 20 years? Tell me about that. He says, well, I've had an issue with alcohol. And I come to the Brown Bag AA meeting every noon, Monday through Friday. I rarely miss that. I am so thankful that St. Ansgar's provides that opportunity for us. It is so good. I said, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. He said, well, you, those languages, biblical ones, are they helpful? Do you have to know that? And I said, well, I'm not real good at them. I sort of hooked my pants up and wade through them, but it's... It's not my long suit. He said, well, tell me. I said, well, last Sunday, I was preaching on Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. You know the verse. Plans for welfare and, and not despair, to give you a future and a hope. And I said, you know, whenever I hear the word welfare, I don't have real happy thoughts in my mind. 
I think of people out on the dole or uh, people in strife, just not the most winsome word. And as I was studying the Hebrew, all of a sudden, it dawned on me. That word translated in Jeremiah 29 of welfare is the word shalom. Shalom, I know something about. It means that that you're at peace. Your, your, your stomach isn't empty. Your kids are well-behaved. Your wife is happy. You don't have holes in your sandals. That's what shalom is all about. It's not just a peace, brother. It's, it's a wholeness that God has designed. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for wholeness. Shalom. That's my plan that God has for you. Jeremiah proclaims. And this guy, he says, oh, I can't tell you how excited I am. My, my wife goes to Savina's, Salinas Valley Christian, and that's her favorite verse. I can't wait to get home today and tell her that I went to Bible study out at the Swiss Rifle Club. <laughs> Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you taking every opportunity to be able to share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? Or do you struggle because you know you failed? And the enemy wants to hold that over you like a guillotine ready to fall. Believe the promise of what God has declared about you. That you might walk in, as Jeremiah says, a future that is filled with Shalom. So what are you doing? And why are you doing it? Like John has said, to prepare the way of the Lord so that, so that Jesus might be revealed not only to Israel, but to the place where God has planted you for this time. The next day, after those conversations with the people from Jerusalem, he sees Jesus. It's interesting. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about Jesus' baptism, the real entrance into his ministry. John doesn't talk about it, other than the fact that apparently it must have happened. And, and the next day, John is reflecting as he sees Jesus. Oh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And how he knew that that was the case. How? Because I was told, John says, by the one who sent me to baptize, that I'm going to see not only the Spirit descend, but is going to dwell, is going to remain, is going to take habitation in that one that is baptized. That was Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of those who trust in him is not what it says. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not all are going to avail themselves of that, but his blood is there and pays the price for every failure that has ever been made 
any wickedness that has ever thrived, every horrendous thought and action that has taken place, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John comes, and he is basically like those guys that stand out on the street corner with the fancy signs twisting around and flipping and flopping, and, and, and there's a great deal on pizza for lunch here, or the furniture store for the 17th year in a row is going out of business, and they've got a tremendous sale going on, and, and they're flipping their signs and pointing this way, this way, this way. And that's exactly what John is doing, although it's not with a fancy sign. It's with his words and with his life. He is a finger pointer to Jesus. I heard God say in verse 20, 33, I myself didn't know Jesus, didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water had something. He heard the voice of God. Oh, that we would be so certain that when God speaks to us through his word, we know it is God speaking to us. That that word takes habitation and says, I have a place in my life for what that word says, and I trust it and I believe you, God. And that's what John did. Verse 33 also, not only did he hear God say, he saw God work. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Huh. Not just water, but this is the one who comes and submerges and fills with the very Spirit of God. He saw, he heard, and he bore witness. Now, a witness is one who says what he sees. A witness is one who shares what he hears. Are you saying? Not are you saying, but are you saying? And are you sharing? What you have heard God speak to you. Are you sharing? what you have seen God do in your life and in the lives of other people? Are you continually, as John said, <laughs> bearing witness, proclaiming the truth, acknowledging what he sees and hears and experiences? How does he end it? I bear witness of what I have seen and I will tell you this, this is the Son of God. Those who gathered around heard. Some of the disciples, as we heard back uh, months ago now, as we were going through parts of the book of Acts, they didn't make the transition from being a disciple of John to being a disciple of Jesus. Not that they'd rejected Jesus, they, they had maybe received that baptism of repentance and moved on to another part of the world to proclaim the good news of, of the promises of the Old Testament. What Jesus 
has is one who is pointing his finger at him and says, this is what I heard God do. This is what I saw God do. And this indeed is the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's what he calls us to be a part of, to be like John. Oh, we don't have to run around in, in rough camel clothing. You don't have to eat wild honey and locusts. Uh, but he calls us to, to be like that forerunner that was preparing the way so that others might hear, so that others might see, so that others might believe and trust that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Jesus is the very unique Son of God. And I would pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us boldness to believe that, and not just believe it in the silence and quiets of our hearts and our minds, but believe it with our lives, believe it with our lips, believe it with our hands, so that many more might walk in a way that's been prepared by your Spirit to trust in Jesus, even as we have. We're so thankful, Lord, for what you've done. We pray it in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Before we sing another song, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to make confession of our faith and we're going to be preparing our hearts for, for what God has in store for us, the gift of the altar. And if perchance you, you didn't grab a, a, an individual cum, communion uh, unit, uh, there are some out on the table that you can sneak out and grab some. So let's proclaim the truth of what John saw and what we know. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's prepare ourselves for his gift of mercy and favor at his gift of altar. Dearly beloved of God, our Lord Jesus on that night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after that supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples saying, drink of this, all of you. This is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Just do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now as his people, let's pray the prayer Lord has taught. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. As your hearts are ready, I invite you to eat and to drink in God's grace and favor. Now the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his holy and his precious blood, strengthen you and preserve you in true faith unto life everlasting. Amen. I invite you now to open your hands, to open your hearts, and receive the blessing of God who loves you so very much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with the greatest of all his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
People of God, there is absolutely no one that God loves more than you. Go in that joy and go in that peace and let his name be on your lips.